Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Get ready for some awesome. You know what that means. Wrap up time. Speaking of wrapping up, the person I wrap up with is a guy named Jonathan Stormont. And let me ask you a question, Jonathan. As someone who doesn't have an MDiv. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps... Perhaps you are exploring a new opportunity to serve or have been invested in ministry for years. That's you, Jonathan, for years. Or you're somewhere in between. This is where Northeastern Seminary meets you. Between reading scripture and knowing how to live a life of faith, between having an idea where the church is headed and being able to plan and articulate a vision, between relying on what you already know and being open to learning from others throughout the world, if you find yourself in the sacred space between the certificate and degree programs, that's you, Jonathan, are designed to equip you in the next phase of your ministry. Whether you've been called to be a faithful teacher, transformational leader, missional pastor, or biblical peacemaker, you can find a course of study that will prepare you to fulfill your purpose in God's creative and redemptive work in the world. For more information, go to nes.edu slash calling. Northeastern Seminary, the home of Dr. Esau McNally. Huh. Who's on the show this week, this month? Yeah. Did you say that in that podcast? Did I? I mean, that, that, that he was a, is he a professor there? Yeah, he's a professor there. So I was think, that like one of those micro-targeted ads? That's very specific. I don't know what a micro-targeted You don't have an MDiv. It's like, you know, like the political, they drill down to like, yeah, you know what a micro, like where they go after like 10, 12 people to I, swing counties. I mean, I feel like, uh. Jonathan, I feel like everything's for you. And so in your world, maybe it is for you. Anyway, all that to say, it's a great seminary that uh, hopefully my listeners learned about uh, this month. Well, I really liked Dr. Esau, who you can't say his last name. I feel like I said it wrong there. I was actually going to go double check it right now. But because <laughs> there's, yeah, it's just a hard there's, thing to say. Isn't it like Macaulay? It's like not hard at all. It's Macaulay. Like, it sounds like a character off <laughs> Braveheart. He was in Scotland for a, to study. He was, Macaulay. did not become Scotland. <laughs> clan Macaulay. I feel like that's how I feel like that's how citizenship works. I don't know what you're talking about, but that sounds right to me. Anyway, um, that was a great that was a great podcast. It was it was a good one. Um, yeah, so we've got um, we've got a little conversation with Colin Packer. Did you see Colin getting on the old uh, Facebook post? Did you see what he did? I did see that. I did. And I thought it was well said. And I did, did he get a lot of like negative pushback to that? Because it seems like anything that, yeah. Well, you're going to hear Facebook all about that not. in a second. Because we're okay. going to, like, I've got a few minutes. Like, I actually did a little thing with him. And we're going we're gonna to stop you in a minute. We're going to put in Colin, and then we'll come back to you. Are you okay, you okay with that? I, I can do it. You can do it. I can okay. have my ego is strong. But okay, so the we talked about Botham, who uh, like you is a Harding guy, and yeah, I'm and assu- you. I mean, I went. You're there also for, a Harding guy for a year. But as someone who actually is a graduate <laughs> of Harding University, I, I assume that you probably and you live in Arkansas now. That you would probably mm-hmm. have a little bit different angle or perspective on that tragedy of his murder. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, I work in Little Rock, which is just an hour away from the school that both of them graduated from. And one of the things that's really interesting 
that I see happening is, I mean, Harding's a pretty close-knit family, people that you graduate with, and it made something that's been like a national crisis uh, hit home to people um, who are not given to progressive politics or, you know, Hmm. they're they're not going to be identity politics, but he was a family member. And so it's been interesting to watch, you know, I had a, I have some members here who knew him, uh, drove up for his funeral, are really wrestling with what do we do with, you know, and it's all these complicated questions that they're, they're maybe taking more seriously. So that seems to be very natural. When there's a firsthand uh connection to something, it changes when, there's someone from our church who lost family members in the Sutherland Springs shooting down in San Antonio. That right. that horrific attack became more real. Uh, Columbine, when actually, ironically, Colin used to live in Littleton, Colorado, which is not too far away from where the Columbine right. tragedy was. Like when you had this firsthand thing, all of a sudden, it's not an issue, but it's like a family problem. Yeah. And I, there seems to be something about the gospel that should make us always look at things like this as a family problem. That whole, like, we're all creating yep. the image of God, and it moves past the sort of, like, us versus them, or, well, this is my people, doesn't affect me. It should affect all of us because we're all creating the image of God. And so, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to jump. Let's jump to Colin for a minute. Uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about that and his, his response, and then we'll come back to you. Now we have Colin Packer back on the show. Welcome back, Colin. It's good to be back. So, Colin, recently saw that you decided uh, to become a viral Facebook poster. It's a little strange, man. I mean, you put something up, and uh, obviously you're trying to speak to a certain audience, and you wake up the next morning and see that people you don't know shared it, and uh, obviously struck a chord with things that are going on in our culture. You've addressed some of these things on the show, obviously, about race and our our culture, but, man, it just felt... Mm -hmm. Like it was just too urgent for, uh, especially uh, my white brothers and sisters, that something needed to be said. We needed to uh, make sure and speak up and, and seek justice however we could. So yeah, it's been been a strange uh, week or so. Yeah, I bet. And um, now you had you live in the same area, Botham. Botham. I don't feel like I'm ever saying his name right. Yeah, what Botham. Is, uh, Botham. Yeah, he went by Bo. Actually, the people here in Dallas. Um, so yeah, Bo. Okay, I can say Bo easier. Uh, so Bo had come to your church, which, how far away was it from his actual home church? Uh, 20, 30 minutes, basically. Uh, he, he came and was staying with a, a family in our church, actually, before he got his own place. And it was a connection through Harding. And so he came for about a month to our church. I never got to actually meet uh, both of them uh, while he was here. But uh, yeah, he came to our, our services a few times. A few times. And then when uh, his shooting took place... You obviously heard about it on the news, I assume, right? Right. How did you then find yourself at the funeral? Uh, well, I have people that are close to me that were going. Uh, the family that he'd stayed with from our church actually attended, and so I was, uh, I was with them that day. I uh, saw a lot of my Harding connections were, were there and just felt a need to reach out um, in this situation and just hear his story, hear about his life, and uh, be a be a connection to other churches that were obviously mourning and uh, let them know that the the white community cares too. Uh, it's as divided as we are in this day and age. Uh, any way we can reach across lines and show support and concern and care, that's what I wanted to be a part of. Hmm. Uh, when you were at the service, I'm assuming you've been to. 
plenty of funeral services in your life. You've performed probably a handful or plenty of funeral services. Uh, what was different about this one than others you've you've been a part of? You know, you walk in and you can just feel uh, just the sadness and the tension and the, um, it, the the parking lot was full. I show up 30 minutes early and it's already packed and it was hard to even find a seat. Um, it was more diverse than a lot of the funerals I go to. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it says a lot about our life who shows up at our, our funeral and uh, to have Harding uh, that was there, obviously a, a mostly white group. Um, you've got PricewaterhouseCoopers that um, out of the office. There are probably 300 people there from uh, their, their office, which showed the impact that, that both have made. There's obviously a, a lot of people from his church and a uh, different community. And so it was a, definitely a sadness, um, definitely a sense of, of waiting. It was a three-hour uh, funeral, which is different than I'm used to. But it also uh, was just the reality of the situation and the, the culture and uh, trying to speak well to his life because he, he was an amazing young man. Hmm. Young man. H- how old was he? 26, almost 27. Wow, just a kid. That's, that's heartbreaking. Uh, so you, you write this post, you reflect on letters from Birmingham jail. Uh, I know you, uh, you went on uh, the tour of some of the civil rights locations. Uh, was that a year or two ago? Yeah, it's been, uh, this is three years, I guess, since okay. that trip. I was with uh, Stormont and uh, old Richard Beck was on that trip and several others, uh, 10 black ministers, 10 white ministers no. from, uh, from our movement. Truth be told, I was invited on that trip, but it was when I was moving to Austin, so I didn't, didn't go. We missed you. Yeah, we missed yeah. you desperately. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so you go to that. Um, I, I know race has been something that you've been talking about long before that trip. And so when this happens, you decide to write this post on Facebook that, like I said earlier, went viral. Some 90,000 people have shared it. I know you even got an invitation to be on a sports talk radio in Memphis. What, was the, what do you feel like the majority of the reaction has been about you as a white pastor talking about this issue? You know, I, I think what's sad in this situation is, uh, unfortunately, it's the white voice that goes viral. And that's part of the struggle I had with posting it was I was trying to write to my white brothers and sisters, but it's this realization of the people who can speak to this best are the people who walk through this most closely. Mm-hmm. So that's been part of the journey afterwards. How do I give voice to those who are African, African-American brothers and sisters that walk this path daily, that it impacts uh, more severely, that they're thinking about their own kids in a different level than I am, but but the bar's so low in our culture that for a, a white minister to speak up um, for some reason is has come as a shock and a surprise to many, and I, I think it means that we're not speaking up enough. You know, in, in white yeah. churches, it's been so much about the afterlife and about individual salvation. This is one of the things I'm realizing is when it comes to race, we don't even have a language for this other than personal slights that are egregious um, mm-hmm. using the n-word other things like that are so uh, out there that individually that's a problem we can call that racism but because in at least in my experience in churches I've been a part of uh, we don't have a language for sin that's communal sin uh, all we can think about is what's individual and so if we haven't committed direct offense or if that happened 150 years ago slavery then we think well, that's not racist. That's something else an excuse for it. And so I think we need to grow uh, muscles in our movement for talking about individual and, and uh, uh, or, or for corporate sin, for communal sin, and have communal confession. Right now, all we do to confess is really confess personally. And if that's the case, all we can have an imagination for with our sin is that we've done something personally, not realizing that there are systems and uh, powers and principalities that we're caught up in, benefit from, 
and privilege is a, a, a real thing. And that, that makes a difference in cases like this, which were some of the details I was trying to call attention to that are different for, uh, in my experience than what I saw in this uh, with both of them. Yeah. Uh, obviously, most people saw the uh, information about a small amount of marijuana being found in his house and having that information released on the day of the funeral, uh, which incited a great deal of um, frustration, acrimony, anger, righteous anger from, from many people, just seeing how that was mishandled and how it didn't need to be communicated. There's no reason for that to be said. Uh, but I, I wonder if one of the reasons that many white church leaders are reticent to speak about this is because it seems to get stuck in the binary of I'm either going to be for African-Americans I'm or I'm for police officers. And it becomes this political issue, well, are you left or are you right? And the way you respond to this as a church is the answer to that question in some people's mind. How do you think we can sidestep that sort of simplistic binary approach of partisan politics that seems to be so prevalent in an issue like this? Yeah, it's a great question. It actually comes up, I know, on this uh, recap that I'm sure Storm will do such a good job speaking to or has already, right? And you as well, by the way. But, Thank you. Uh, you know, that came up in the uh, podcast I was listening to that you'd done earlier this month. And I, I, I got to thinking about that. And, and that is an impact, right? I mean, I, I did get responses, uh, private messages from uh, officers that were asking the question about kind of due process. And I know in, 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 as I grew up, that was a huge piece was, well, the truth will come out, right? The facts will come out. And so if we just are patient, then we can trust the system to do what the system's intended to do. But uh, the more I have, man, spent time with my uh, black brothers and sisters, heard their stories, I've realized that I see the system in a very different way than they do. Yep. And their experience uh, with uh, uh, the court system is is that they don't trust that the, the truth will come out. And so this patience for truth to come out is not something that uh, they have the same patience for that I grew up with. And so that's forced me to really rethink uh, that kind of thing and and, and, and to figure out how do I uh, lend a voice to that without also alienating people in my church because it's not uh, that I'm against police. No, I, that's a, they serve a great role and in, in, in their best examples, they're doing great work. Just as I don't want to be um, remembered as a minister for the worst cases that go on people in my profession, I don't want to uh, expect the same of any other profession. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't have to be an either or issue. It can be a both and. We, we need to support our police and what they do. And I've got friends and and family that have been uh, and taken that route. And uh, it doesn't mean that when we speak up for justice in these situations that we're denouncing, on the other hand, something else. But I, I do see that reticence and there's a fear to speak out. And uh, I've, I've been quiet a lot of times, let's be honest. And uh, I just felt like in the circumstances uh, with this, it was time to speak out. It's in my city. Uh, he's been connected to church. Uh, Harding's a, a close connection. Yeah. What's sad is so many other situations, uh, it has to be the perfect scenario for us to speak out. And, uh, and that's such a, an awful thing that we have to find the perfect case in order to do that. And, and that's where I, I, th- I want to challenge us, not in Botham's case alone, but it, whenever it's local, whenever it hits us in a particular way, it doesn't even have to do that whenever we have a chance. It, I think we need to raise the issue and uh, do listening. <laughs> How do we listen and not just assume? How do we not get defensive, but listen to the stories of others and trust they're true without thinking it's just one scenario that can be explained away because of some uh, random example or, or detail? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the uh, you said earlier about the different perspectives on the justice system and how it's going to work out. Uh, I, I remember years ago, uh, Austin Cheney Brown said something about how when I forget 
maybe it was Eric Brown or it was around Ferguson. Maybe I'm not really sure exactly which situation it was, but she said, there's, there's a bell that goes off in my head that rings is this, this isn't right. And this isn't going to work out. And for me, I've never felt that way. I have 100% confidence that if we give this time, we'll get all the information, get all the facts and things are going to come out right. And I can't disassociate the fact that that woman officer looks a whole lot like my aunt who's been a cop for decades and obviously years older than her. But I think, okay, this is going to come out because that's like Aunt Kathy and Aunt Kathy would do the right thing. And so it's going to be come out that whatever happened is on the up and up. And that's the vastly different experience of other people. And it seems that it is some form of racism to say that every, or when the majority of the black voice on this is, I don't trust this to say that every black person is wrong. There's some sort of racism that's underneath that. If we can't listen and say, they have a different experience about the justice system, we need to hear this out. And, and, and I love that there's some people who are able to have these conversations where law enforcement officers are standing up and saying, we care enough about what we do that we want to bring the light on those who are not doing justice to our profession. In the same way that I, there are pastors who are ripping people off, who are taking advantage of people, who are sexually assaulting children. Obviously, I care enough about my profession. I want those people to be brought into light and to exonerate the rest of us that that's not who we are. Um, it's, it's tough because so many of us are more discipled by partisan politics than we are by Jesus. So that the only yep. imagination we have to give us a solution or a, a way forward on this is either the left or the right option. And, and so we become like neutered as a church as to what we should do. Yeah. It's a challenge to find our way forward. You know, I, I'm grateful for anyone who is willing to speak out against those that are doing things wrong in their profession or in their industry. I think about this when it comes to the difference between nationalism and patriotism, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, nationalism is to give defense to kind of anything that's there, but the best patriots, those who love their country most, are able to call out uh, whatever past there isn't positive, are able to call out the the sins of the nation. And there's so much pressure not to do that, right? There's so much pressure not to speak up poorly. That's what I love about Scripture. I, I think this is a huge point about the Bible. Uh, the reason I believe in the Bible is because the Bible can be uh, neutral. It has testimony. It has counter-testimony. It is not propaganda in the way that a lot of history books tell the story, right? Mm-hmm. We have a, a history that tells the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's almost not a character that comes out pristine except Jesus yep. himself. And so when I look at that and when I look at the model of Scripture, I'm thinking that's exactly how we got to be living our lives as well. How do we build vulnerability, authenticity? Our Scriptures are the very thing that point us to the fact that we can be honest about the drawbacks. We can be honest about the failures. And all of that is shows that God works through the weakness of it, if we're able to be weak and if we're able to share that voice. So Scripture, I think, is instructive in this uh, to really point out that um, you don't just have to tell the propagandized, cleaned-up story. You don't have to just tell the positive story. It's actually in telling uh, the most difficult parts, the failures of Saul before he becomes Paul. I mean, you can go back character after character, mm-hmm. and that doesn't detract from the fact that God's used them and works through them. And uh, the church would do a much better job if we would do the same about our own history uh, and about our own professions, no matter what they are. Yeah. Okay. So I'll get you on this last question. How do we, people like you and me, who pastor churches that are predominantly white, do our job of representing the voice and the experience of people who are not a part of our churches? 
How, how can we do our part to represent that? Or, or maybe even why should we be caring about bringing those voices into churches that predominantly are a different perspective and different experience? Yeah, we're, we're a predominantly white church and I've grown up in a predominantly white church and that shapes certain perspectives. And so I think about the future, right? I mean, my, my eschatology, my view of the end and how this all comes together shapes my current experience. And so if I know one day that, uh, you know, I'm going to be in a, in a place, whatever that looks like in the end where, you know, all tribes, tongues and nations will be, uh, I ought to be practicing that now. That's the role of the church. I, I, I grew up with, with a family that taught me how to handle money. I, I grew up with a family that taught me, uh, that education was important. I did not grow up in a family system that helped me um, have a vocabulary for race, to be able to interact with people who are different from me. And that's something that um, my wife and I are trying to pass on to our kids. Is we want to prepare them for the world when it comes to finances. We want to prepare them for education. We want to do everything we can spiritually to prepare them for a world that they can withstand the challenges that are ahead. We also want them to have diverse experiences and to be with groups of different people so they can manage that because I wasn't handed that. And I have made a lot of mistakes along that path because I didn't have friends um, and I was in a private Christian school and we all know the history of a lot of those schools. They start around the same time yep. they start, uh, in order to deal with the effects of desegregation and trying to really escape that. And that shapes the way you tell history. That shapes the way you tell science that shapes it where it's a single story. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we need more stories to fill our perspective against scriptures and structure on that too. It tells the underdog story in the midst of also having uh, superpowers. We're, we're distanced from this text. Because we're uh, part of the the largest superpower on planet Earth right now, and this is a mostly you know oppressed narrative. There are things we miss as a result of that, and the more people we can come in contact with, the more diverse our community can look. The more stories that are told from our pulpits and from our stages, the better. And so I I, I think it's important that we don't just highlight white voices and let them go viral. Uh, one important thing will be for us to allow others a stage that are not traditionally given a space to speak. And I think we need to discover how to do that in, in better and deeper ways. Yeah. I'm appreciative of how your podcast seeks to do that more and more as well. Well, thank you, Colin. Thank you. Uh, thanks for your time, Colin. I know you got to run, but um, yeah, well done. Beep, boop, 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 boop. And now we're back. Thank you for staying on the line that whole time. <laughs> yes, it was great to listen in. Colin, I'm sad you didn't say hi to me, but great work on Facebook. Okay. Um, all right. Jonathan, oh, I meant to put this at the beginning of the podcast. We'll put it now anyway, because people are still going to be listening. I meant to tell, so I don't know if you know this, Jonathan, but you know what happens Tuesday of next week? Oh, man, I was, I was just wondering. This is what I wanted to make fun of you for, but I was wondering how long it would take you. And now if you didn't put it at the beginning, so it's actually been like five minutes that we've been talking but it's going to feel to these people like you could hold out for a little bit oh, longer. No, no, because I had something to say. What I need to tell is that this thing that I'm working on, that if you are listening to the podcast and you get your, if you got like a, a book club or a class or a group of people, like a small group that gets together, if you can get a picture of you along with 12 of your friends, like Jesus and his 12 disciples, um, with the book for like a, a group study or something like that, I will do this. I'm going to try to do my best to call or Skype in to your group. So if you guys decide you're going to read the book, I will do my absolute best. If you tag me on Instagram to find a way to Skype into your conversation so we can actually talk about the book while you as a group talk about it. Isn't that amazing, Jonathan? That is, Technology. That's a, fun, that's a fun idea, and I guarantee you will be disappointed in the Skype. 
but oh. it's a great promotion. Well, I'll use Facebook. I mean, what are you gonna what are you gonna say? Like, hey, book club. Yeah, I wrote that with my fingers on my keyboard. <laughs> you want to? What I, I hey Jonathan, I Jonathan, I understand that writing things with fingers on a keyboard is a technological advance for for no, Arkansas. I intended us to use the pencils, mm-hmm. the pencils, and paper. Okay, what would you? What were you going to say now, Jonathan? Oh no, it, it actually is a good promotional idea, and I'm sure it'll be fun to get the. FaceTime in with people, and yeah. Luke's a pleasant human being to talk to, so wow, enjoy that. Hey, you cut world. out just a second ago. Say that same thing you just did again? <laughs> no, that's, that's a rare indi- a rare moment that I will break character and say something genuine okay. about you. Well, if you do... The book comes out Tuesday. It does, just a few days after this. Have you received your copy yet in the mail? I haven't, man. The... Um, yeah, Arkansas. I haven't got it yet. Arkansas joke. Arkansas, that's true. Okay, well, the donkey hasn't come through. It's not. <laughs> okay, well, you you should get one soon, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, me too. <sighs> All right, uh, you, we got a couple podcasts we got to cover. Um, Let's do it. Let's correct all the heresy from this past month. Yeah. So we've got Merritt, Jonathan Merritt, back on the show. Esau. Richard Beck, Chris Green. Um, I mean, we're already 25 minutes into this, and we haven't even start, talked about one. So which one do you want to start with? Uh, well, I, I started. I listened first to Richard's because he's a friend, and um, oh, really? I wanted to, yeah. You still think you're friends? Cause, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no. No. Yeah. You can't turn. You can't turn, Brother Richard. He... Thoughtful guy. Uh, yeah, so that one, we um, talk about mental health. And mm-hmm. did you, did, I assume you probably kept up with that story. I, actually, I had. I mean, our life's so crazy right now. I hadn't even heard it until I heard you talk about Are it you on serious? the podcast. Yeah. I mean, that, hmm. um, dude, moving to a new church. You remember how that is? Yeah, no, I get like, I get it. I get it. They're, but, but that's incredibly tragic, man. Here's the thing that Richard said that has, I don't want to say haunted me, but it has stayed with me. Is that the, the reason that pastors, or this is something to the extent of what right. Richard said, that pastors can't be vulnerable because pastors play a role. I forget the metaphor, but it's like you're the tent post that holds up the tent of people's faith. And, and faith is what defines your, your narrative. It gives you self-understanding. It gives you like an understanding of your existence. And pastors are like the pillars that hold that up. And so a pastor isn't really about a person, but it's just about a role that you play in everyone else's life. So of course they don't want you to display your humanity because you're supposed to be that role in their life, not an actual person, which perpetuates the loneliness and isolation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I, when I, when I heard him say that, first off, you, that resonated with you, right? Like you can see, um, you can see how. Yeah, I, would, I, that would, I had someone actually uh, once leave a church. He was a friend of mine, brought to church from the gym, and he said it was just weird having a friend of mine as that teacher in my life. I, I need a, a specific teacher in my life. I don't need a friend. And I was like, bro, uh, like I, I thought it would be the exact opposite of that. But it was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. And, and, yeah. and I don't fault people I, for like I, I can understand where that comes from, I, to to some degree. I, I think it ultimately sells everyone short, not just the pastor, but it sells you short because it creates this idolized version of what spirituality and religion and Christianity is. Because you think it's just the stage presence, which is not that's not the totality of anyone's existence. 
You know, one of the things this makes me think of is I think a healthy example of the opposite of this is actually the church Brother Richard goes to, uh, used to work at, when Mike, the preacher before me at Highland, after he lost um, Megan and after the bus wreck at Highland, there was a season in which he was called on to preach, but he's got all this doubt, all these questions. Questions that he's spoken very publicly about this. You, I think maybe on this podcast too, yep, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think, I, if I remember correctly, he said, "I, I let the church have faith for me." Yeah, something like that. It was the faith of the church that held me up. Mm-hmm. And so there is, there is, you know, I think a lot of times being a pastor, you're called to um, have have faith, you know. Obviously, you know, that's a central thing. Yeah, you want yeah, to make yeah. sure that the person what they're spelling. But um, I also think there's a symbiotic relationship there, too, because we're human, and there's going to be moments where we think, oh, this is just a human construct, or it's all wishful thinking, or whatever it is mm-hmm. that, that day. And just having the faith of the church to... Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, let them carry... I mean, there are times that... <laughs> Yeah, that I look around and I see the church and they go, that that sustains me. And even if I'm struggling on this day, I, I mean, I had that just a couple of weeks ago where I looked at and there was someone I know the story and I, I can't go into that, obviously. Yeah. But to see them connecting and, and having this experience in a worship gathering, it was, it, it was the most m- meaningful thing to me, like to the point where yep. I was about to go up and preach and I couldn't look over at this person anymore because I was about to break down because it was so, mm-hmm. it was so moving to me. And... Yeah, yeah, I, that's right. It, it seems like that kind of stuff. there's almost like a, um, I, I think a few things. One, I think the Enneagram would tell us there's certain numbers, like Enneagram threes, this would be really hard for them, that you have to play the part that people want you to play. Uh, there are other numbers, yeah. like sevens, who don't, like, I don't, my concern for what you want, my, Lindsay always says, Luke, I wish you cared more about what people think. And obviously, <laughs> everyone cares what people think, but the, the, the glasses that I was given at birth don't have as much focus on that as other numbers do. And so I think certain numbers are going to struggle with it more, but I also think certain churches, like like a Highland, I think that's a that's a reflection of kind of the, the DNA of that church, but also maybe the health of that church, where it allows that. And like I don't feel like I have to, to play that part where yeah. I am, and I, I'm grateful for that. But I, I, I can imagine, especially... Um, because in our denomination, like we keep the grass cut real short, like we don't let anyone stand real tall on the stage. Everybody's fine. Yeah, oh. no, no, no. Like, like the senior pastor in the Church of Christ doesn't have the same role as tall poppy. Yeah, tall, the Australia tall poppy syndrome. They don't let any poppies grow. Yeah, yeah. Like, so uh, after after I listened to that podcast the same day, I had preached two days earlier because I'm in Philippians on anxiety mm-hmm. and kind of Paul's. You know, don't be anxious about anything, and um, how Paul could say that from prison. And after a couple of days afterwards, a senior saint came up to me and just said, "Hey, uh, I've struggled with depression and anxiety for years." And um, one of the things I'm realizing coming to a new church context is like there is a stigma, and I think most churches to just saying that kind of stuff out loud because you've got to be you know, it, it's like a, a. Well, I think I'll talked about it. There, it's a spiritual failure, yeah. because the Jesus 
Jesus says, don't be, Paul says, don't be anxious. You know, and if you do it, it's almost seen as sinful versus like a, mm-hmm. something that you could get a chemical imbalance. Yep. Uh, yep. Treatment for. Yeah. I, and so that podcast was helpful. I've been very intentional about, uh, listening to how anxiety and worry and trust and faith are kind of described, like as they're all bundled together. And I, like, I see it more now as I'm, as I'm looking at that going, all right, there seems to be a promise y'all are making that you can't deliver that. Yeah. And I think is a, I think it was either, I think it's his insight that maybe what peace looks like for you. And when you're in anxiety or, or when you have like acute anxiety, the peace of Christ is, that you can say this and know that you're still loved and accepted. And the peace isn't that it goes away, yeah. but you can acknowledge it. So yeah, that's um, extremely helpful. And, and I think using that metaphor he used of a busted knee, you know, nobody would look at a busted knee and think, oh, you weren't following Jesus well. Um, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of stuff that's just biological. Yep. And taking the stigma out of it would be really helpful. You know, I, I've said on this podcast before, I've, had seasons where I'm on anti-depressing, uh, antidepressant medicine and mostly related to podcast heavy seasons. <laughs> but <laughs> I have. I mean, I've had seasons where that's yep. true, and I, I feel like I have a deep faith and love the Lord, and that's just yep. part of life. As I've had other friends tell me, you know, sometimes God's, uh, God's blessing is a little blue pill that helps regulate some stuff. Yeah. And that's right. I don't know what color they actually are, but um, yeah, that's great. I think that's a Viagra that you just <laughs> described. So whatever. I don't know who you're talking to. So, <laughs> Well, anyway, so it was nice to hear uh, one of the now elders at the church that let you go. And I'm sure it was just an honor to, to hear him. <laughs> it was. It was. I love Richard. Is it? I love that family. But is it tough, like hearing an elder from the church that let you go? Oh, I see what you're doing there. What? Yeah, they... They let me go in the sense of like they didn't handcuff me and you know make me stay in the Wait, building. T- they let me go, but huh? the the play on words you're doing there. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man. I am haunted by Highland. Hmm. Like everywhere I go, I see strangers who I think, oh, there's Walt Pfeiffer, or there's Jerry Stringer, mm-hmm. or uh, you know what I mean. Were you like that when you got to Austin? Uh, no, I was fully present where I was. I'd shut your mouth. <laughs> shut your mouth. You're such a jerk. I don't, I don't. And the people here are great. It's not. It's not an indictment on Pleasant Valley. It's just. It is. It's weird loving people for eight years and then yeah, just uprooting and going somewhere else. You see them everywhere. Yeah, that's tough. It's kind of like uh, the old Matthew McConaughey movie, Ghost of Girlfriends Past. It's kind of like that. Ghost of Churches Past. Uh, you know when when you quote movies, you you quote pretty. What's the word? Vapid? Is vapid the word? Hmm. Like, I, I have a... You know what's funny is I've got... Vapid? How do you say it? I have a, uh, a a piece that comes out in Relevant Magazine, I think, next week. And I think the, ti- the title that I turned in was The Gospel According to Matthew McConaughey. And <laughs> I, I, I built a whole... All right, all right, all I, right. And I refrained from doing that, like, it, that joke. But I, I built it around the rom-com Matthew McConaughey. So that's the... Um, Look forward to that in the old Twitter feed soon. Okay, uh, let's talk about. Uh, all right, we got. Which one are you going to do next? Merritt Macaulay or Chris Green? I did. I did. Uh, I listened to Jonathan Merritt's next. Okay. And if you could have 
could Merrill come in and do some more podcast hosting? Could you be like John the Baptist and let him become greater so that you might become worse? That hurts. That hurts. <laughs> he, he's a good dude. I like that guy a lot. Yeah, and that seemed like a fun podcast. Yeah. Merrill's a good guy. You know, sometimes you stumble into these friendships that it, it seems like they're just chance that you luck into being pastors of a church across the street from someone else, but they turn out to be just this godsend. Merrill's that guy for me. Very grateful for him. He's a lot of fun. You've had a lot of that in your life. Yeah. Just godsend of mm-hmm. pastors that you got to work close yeah, to. Yeah, like Rick. and Rick, yeah. We both have that. There's probably some others that come to Washburn, mind. Hatchet, Epps, <laughs> Pinson. Uh, I mean, yeah. So many. Yeah. Uh, Saving the best for last. The best for last? You're right. You're right, I am. Take it too long. Take it too long for your witty little brain to come up with another name. <laughs> I, I forgot the youth minister's name, dang it. <laughs> Phrase, David Phrase, that's his name. I'm going to cut that out. It's going to be like right on and edit. <laughs> Just, <laughs> David Phrase, how did I forget your name? I can see you with the little <laughs> All right, all right, let's get back. Wh- wh- Jonathan, your ways. So, Jonathan Merritt, uh, like you believe the central premise of that, uh, basically the way that the way that uh, religious language went. Okay, so for, let's talk about this. The hot button. Did he? Do you disagree with Barbara Brown Taylor and Rob Bell, friends of the show? Who the universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was an interesting. Move. So the same was something to the extent of like you can't replace the word God with something else and. I don't know if I'm 100% against that. Like, I, I get that the words can have so much baggage that it's better to jettison them. And for some people, starting with God doesn't work. I, here's the thing. I'm good to jettison masculine pronouns. I, I typically try to abstain from using them because I know some people, when they hear that, it just creates so much baggage sure. that they can't connect to the idea of a loving God because their father, or for whatever reason, that masculine image is, is cancer to them. I can get rid of that. I, I don't hold on that strongly to this. If you want to say, I, like I'm a Jesus person, but if you want to replace Jesus, like I can't do that. But if you want to replace God with something, like I'm not against that. What about you? You're against it, aren't you? Uh, Use Christian language, darn it. Isn't that what uh, Hauerwas says? Or, yeah, I mean, I do, there, is, there is, for me, it would be, uh, you know, I, and I, I get it. I've had those conversations too. Um, the... Uh, but you can't you can't help you can't move the baggage unless you can address the baggage, um, you know. So at some what what does Merritt say? Like you, you you're you're using the same ideas. You're just trying to put it in a different box. Yeah. But ultimately, the universe already has a box. When people think of the universe, it's it's different than God, right? Yeah. Who is uh, so Chris Green talked about. That the two right. tasks is one to start from scratch and one to start with, you've already got this terrible picture of what God is and we've got to disassociate that from what it is. Like if you move into a house and they put on a new coat of paint and they change the siding and they put new flower beds and they, they resodded the front yard and put a new fence up and a new roof, like, yeah, that people are going to come to that house a whole lot faster than if you just said, well, you know what, on the inside, it's still the same. I, th- I think people yeah. getting people in the door, getting people to participate in a life of faith is is easier. And once you do that, that's more transformative than just saying, let's let's tear down these 10 things that are um, 
like hindering you after you get in? Like, I, yeah, I, I don't see the point. Okay. So I was trained as a missionary, uh, and I mean, one of the things about missions, especially you know, Christian missions is different than you know, it's it's the only book. Uh, it, we are the people of the book, but it's a book that's very intense on being translated. Unlike you know, like the Quran, yeah. which is not there's not a real translation of the Quran. If, if you're going to become a Muslim, you have to learn Aramaic um, or wait Arabic. The because there it, there's no way to translate. Yeah. So I do think the word becomes flesh. God translates, mm-hmm. you know, God's self into the uh, human experience. And you do have to start where people are. So I, I get that. And I'm sympathetic to the Rob Bell move of the universe in that regard. I do think one of the things you lose when um, you, you have to be very careful of calling people into something that's not worth belonging okay. to. And after a while, there is a set of vocabulary that people have used for thousands of years. And if you get to just reinvent, you know, what it, what it means to you because you've got some baggage in your own life, oh, that's, that sounds pretty abrasive. If you've got, if you can't, like, make the jump to see what it meant to people a thousand years ago, um, you know, do, now, do, am I making well, sense? here's the thing, like, you... You've taken some Greek, right? You took year two of it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've taken yeah. some Greek, and I've translated enough sentences back in my three and a half years of Greek and Hebrew that I understand that when some people get all like upset because you know you say one word and it can be translated a different word or the order is not right, you go, well, I know people are making making decisions to translate this from one language to the next, and if you're right, gonna yeah. like parse the m- most minute detail in English you're playing kind of a fool's game because it's not written in English. Like, it doesn't matter what the English word for dynamite means. That's not how the Greek word for power works. Like, that's... You're jumping through a few hoops already. You're right. And so I feel like we're already translating it literally from language and from 2,000 years and a Jewish culture into our culture. It's not like any of us have this pristine, perfect image that's exactly what it was 2,000 years ago. We've already been translating, whether we want to say it or not. That's true. And if I was to make... The argument for Rob, I think I would say when in the book of Acts, when they decided to translate the name of God from Yahweh to Theos, mm-hmm. you know, the generic yep. Greek, you know, that that was a similar kind of, of thing. It already had a ton of, you know, purchase. It, yep. it meant, but it, you, they had to do a lot of renegotiation, which gets to Merritt's point, right? Like you're negotiating in language when you yeah. are talking about like stuff. Yahweh to to, Theo, to Theos. There's no way to like make that even have half the weight that Yahweh has. There's uh, no true. way to replicate that. I just uh, for me maybe maybe there's there's some special about. The language, you know, the, I guess the Hauerwas move is, move is pretty compelling. What does Hauerwas say? Well, that you want to use Christian language. I just want to see if you want to um, use the expletive as well as he does. No, no, you're going to, okay. no you, you're welcome no. to. You, you have more job stability <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, I know you've been let go by one church in the last year, so you don't want to. <laughs> I, they, they, they sit. What? What do you ah. You're the worst. Yeah. You're the worst. Okay, so, b- by the way, I listened to Rob's stuff on uh, the Lord's Prayer, 
and I don't like I don't listen to his podcast all the time. And I listened to it, I was like, man, Rob Bell doing Bible stuff. It's, it's the best. So good. So talented. I just downloaded the next uh, Leviticus part of that commentary because so I know so I, I know what you're preaching in the spring. <laughs> that's right. No, no, it's going to be a couple of years. <laughs> okay, from now. Uh, we, we got to keep moving if we want to talk about uh, Chris Green or Esau. Which one you want to go to next? Uh, let's do Time. Esau. Doctor Esau, man, what a find! I loved that interview. Yeah, good dude. The uh, he is a good dude. <laughs> someone tweeted uh, a line where I said the Book of Galatians is like the Buffalo Bills of epistles. <laughs> Bills yeah. fan. That's. So they were offended to be the Galatians of the well, NFL? Like, I think he is a Bills fan, too, So and he's a Galatian scholar, so I feel like he hates me now. But, <laughs> okay, do you ever have this temptation of, you have, you bring a black person into your event, or you have them on something, and you want to talk about race, but you go, I feel like you're typecasting if, you, if every time you bring a black person to something, and you say, I want you to speak about race, it kind of just typecast every black voice you have to being just like to, to have a monolithic message. Yeah. Yeah. And they have to represent the whole black experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, but he, he's put on a conference, which actually sounds mm-hmm. amazing. I told you off mic, I would actually like to go to that conference. Yeah. If only Dr. Esau would give out free, uh, tickets to people who've promoted his awesome sounding conference. I'll see what I can do. Oh, um, anyway, I did nothing. I can't do it. <laughs> okay, so you like to go? Why would you like to go? Well, one, I like what he said. I think a lot of a lot of my life, I've spent um, in conferences that are predominantly white mm-hmm. space, watching um, black brothers and sisters be there and handle that. And I think it'd be cool to take a team of people to let them see what it felt like yeah. to not be in that space. And also, I would like to know this. You know, the I can't remember what what he said the conference was going to be walking through now, but I remember thinking that would actually be really helpful for our church staff to go through because we're trying to work really hard on racial reconciliation here yep. in Little Rock. What, what did you think of the uh, stuff about black gospel music compared to uh, high church oh, liturgy? Oh yeah, yeah. A merger of those would be amazing. I think deep down in my bones, I'm kind of rocking Anglican, mm-hmm. you know, and having, having, uh, I, I, I'm interested to see how he can do that. Yeah. I think deep in my bones, I'm Hillsong with like a few scripted prayers in there, like a few, like that we can all lean on <laughs> and some chants, but like with oceans <laughs> playing in the background to book of common prayer. I think you're onto something. I think we should. <laughs> yeah. I actually do think that, you know, that, this is Robert Weber. You, you mm-hmm. ever heard of him? Ancient Worship guy, yeah. Guy? Yeah, man, I I am all in on Robert Weber. Just, I think that's, the way forward is in yep. the past. Yep, I agree. All right, let's, one more thing on Esau. Do you have anything else you? Yeah, uh, his his uh, thing on Galatians 3.27 was one of the best things I've ever heard on Galatians You're going to have to tell everyone, not everyone has. The, inher- the inherent, inherent stuff back in the day where, Women could not inherit mm-hmm. property, and Paul and baptism is—I uh, mean, it's a, it's a more robust vision of what Paul is actually saying. Galatians three twenty-seven does than the kind of like uh, arguments that I've heard about it, which is everybody's full inheritance. We're you know 
Um, it seems like it, it goes to very specific applications before you get to the actual fullness of that robust mm-hmm. promise. Anyway, I, I can't say it as well as he did, but it was I thought it was breathtaking, his mm. take on Galatians 3. That's good. That's good. Okay, the last one for the month was our friend, the world's smartest and best-dressed Pentecostal, Dr. Chris Green. I, I would love to meet that Good guy. dude. He's a um, good dude. Yeah. It seems, like, I, it seems like he would be so fun to talk mm-hmm. with about the Holy Spirit. And I, I had, I had um, hung out the other day with a buddy of mine who went to Harding, um, became a charismatic, went all in because of some um, people that I helped introduce him to that I thought would be helpful for him on his kind of walk. And um, for the last 10 years, he was all in on charismatics. And it, started kind of walking away from that because he saw the abuses mm. of it. And I said, but did you sense anything real there? And he was like, oh, yeah, there's something real there. Um, but, you know, and I, I think Chris, if I think he has a, a healthy kind of perspective on ways that they can move forward without, you know, the abuses same same with yeah, our agreed. tribe yeah you know like our what, like the line that i said to him that i said years ago oh so patron- it's so patronizing <laughs> so patron- but yeah. it's what he's doing like is is actually what i was saying now the words i used i think were unfortunate and if, if i could caveat it i think it's still true that like some of the unhealthy charismatic promises are actually what mysticism delivered and that's what he's saying like his line that God isn't useful. If you want to use God to get what you want, which is what I was kind of yeah. wrapping up with that phrase, it is not there. Like, yeah. God doesn't do that. Like, you can't use God to get what you want. Like, not everyone gets the earthquake that opens up the jail cells to let you walk out of whatever mm-hmm. cell that you're in, like Paul and Silas did in Acts 16. Like, you, you don't get God to do that for you. Somebody's <laughs> preaching through Acts. I just preached that sermon like two hours ago. <laughs> and, yeah, um, but like God doesn't do. But what he's like, what Green is pointing towards is this: let's be lost in the presence of God, and and that's it. Yeah. I I think, and Randy Harris and I used to kind of go back and forth on this a lot. Um, I I think there is a uh, mystics and charismatics need to talk more with one another, but they they tend to write each other off or you know it, it's almost i mean it's first corinthians played out all over the world right like the the elitism gosh i'm being mm-hmm. elite even just talking about it like this but if they could if they could um if they could learn from each other there's there's something real in both of those and um randy's thing was always it seems like you know, he, he as a mystic would say it seems like charismatics often think that theirs is the totality of encountering an experience with God, and it's it's actually you know a lot broader. Yeah, so that's good stuff. Well, um, it's a really good month, man. I, I like these people. Like, I'm I'm glad I got to talk to them, every one of them. So outside of the massive I, I guess i would say what's coming up what do you think's coming up it's a uh a month of god over good it's not a month i'm not gonna call it a month i 
This week on the podcast, Luke is again <laughs> staring into the mirror, asking himself questions. Okay. So, so I, mean, I did a podcast. What's your creative process like? Well, <laughs> I'd love to answer you. A nice haircut, by the way, self, but... Is that is that what October is going to be? Just the second week. No, okay. Well, we had the first week, my friend Jason Miller, not to be confused with the mixed martial artist who goes by the same name, Jason Mayhem Miller. Uh, Jason actors over at the house down in Austin, and he did an interview, just a straight interview about the book. He took over, and he did a good job. Like, I, I hope you guys enjoy that one. Uh, the next one, my friend Annie F., We'll be down in Austin, and we're going to do an event in my church. So we're going to broadcast that, I believe. And then uh, E3 conference, Sally Gary. You remember her? Cool. Yes. Do you know uh, Justin Lee, author of Torn? I I know of Justin Lee. I don't know him. Are you doing a podcast with Justin? Let me look at the dates on this. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing a live one with him. uh, And then... What is this guy? Carrie. Hold on. I forgot. He's like a pastor in like Toronto. Carrie Neuheisel. Something. Oh, Carrie yeah, that's Newhoff. it. That's it. Yeah. Cool. So we got those. He's got some great leadership stuff, yeah. man. Uh, I'm about to find out. I'm going to find out. I'll let you know if it is. Oh, you're going to you're gonna love him. I've, I've uh, read his stuff for years. Really? Yeah, totally. I just realized that I'm going to be out of the country for the last couple of weeks of the month. I don't know how we're going to do a wrap-up podcast next month. we got to figure oh, this out. Man. What's the world going to do? They're not going to know what how to correct the stuff. Okay, I'll have to send it to you early. But, okay, it's not going to be on the podcast, but on Suzanne Stabile's podcast, October 18th, we're doing a live podcast in Dallas for her podcast talking about god over good so if you want to drive back to dallas jonathan for a book signing slash live podcast i think you could make that is the copy i got coming in the mail autographed i wish it was it's not oh good so i could like you, take it back you will what's the return policy how dare on? you, how dare you? <laughs> okay first off before if anybody thinks i'm being too cruel Go back to the podcast where he interviewed me for the two books that we have out, because that serves and it's true. Watch the language, time. Jonathan. Watch the language. <laughs> Watch the language. This is a church podcast. All right. Well, on that note, Jonathan, you can go ahead and call me the Highland Church of Christ because I'm going to have to let you go. <laughs> You've been rehearsing this for weeks. It really came to me in the middle of this conversation. Like, <laughs> Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>